This is Chapter 44 of Following the Equator. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Following the Equator by Mark Twain, Chapter 44 Official Thug Book Supplies for Traveling, Bedding, and Other Freight Scene at Railway Station Making Way for White Man Waiting Passengers, High and Low Caste, Touch in the Cars Our Car Beds Made Up Dreaming of Thugs Baroda Meet Friends Indian Well The Old Town Narrow Streets A Mad Elephant The Old Saw Says let a sleeping dog lie. Right. Still, when there is much at stake, it is better to get a newspaper to do it. Puddenhead Wilson's New Calendar. From Diary, January 28. I learned of an official thug-book the other day. I was not aware before that there was such a thing. I am allowed the temporary use of it. We are making preparations for travel. Mainly the preparations are purchases of bedding. This is to be used in sleeping berths in the trains, in private houses sometimes, and in nine-tenths of the hotels. It is not realizable, and yet it is true. It is a survival, an apparently unnecessary thing, which in some strange way has outlived the conditions which once made it necessary. It comes down from a time when the railway and the hotel did not exist when the occasional white traveller went horseback or by bullock-cart, and stopped overnight in the small dock bungalow provided at easy distances by the government. A shelter, merely, and nothing more. He had to carry bedding along, or do without. The dwellings of the English residents are spacious and comfortable and commodiously furnished, and surely it must be an odd sight to see half a dozen guests come filing into such a place, and dumping blankets and pillows here and there and everywhere. But custom makes incongruous things congruous. One buys the bedding, with waterproof hold-all for it at almost any shop. There is no difficulty about it. January 30. What a spectacle the railway station was at train-time! It was a very large station, yet when we arrived it seemed as if the whole world was present, half of it inside, the other half outside, and both halves bearing mountainous head-loads of bedding and other freight, trying simultaneously to pass each other, in opposing floods, in one narrow door. These opposing floods were patient, gentle, long-suffering natives, with whites scattered among them at rare intervals and wherever a white man's native servant appeared that native seemed to have put aside his natural gentleness for the time and invested himself with the white man's privilege of making a way for himself by promptly shoving all intervening black things out of it in these exhibitions of authority satan was scandalous he was probably a thug in one of his former incarnations Inside the great station, tides upon tides of rainbow-costumed natives swept along, this way and that, in massed and bewildering confusion, eager, anxious, belated, distressed, and washed up to the long trains and flowed into them with their packs and bundles, and disappeared, followed at once by the next wash, the next wave. And here and there, in the midst of this hurly-burly, and seemingly undisturbed by it, sat great groups of natives on the bare stone floor, young, slender brown women, old gray wrinkled women, little soft brown babies, old men, young men, boys, all poor people, 
but all the females among them, both big and little, bejeweled with cheap and showy nose-rings, toe-rings, leglets, and armlets, these things constituting all their wealth, no doubt. These silent crowds sat there with their humble bundles and baskets and small household gear about them, and patiently waited. For what? A train that was to start at some time or other during the day or night. They hadn't timed themselves well, but that was no matter. The thing had been so ordered from on high, therefore why worry? There was plenty of time, hours and hours of it, and the thing that was to happen would happen there was no hurrying it. The natives traveled third class, and at marvelously cheap rates. They were packed and crammed into cars that held each about fifty, and it was said that often a Brahmin of the highest caste was thus brought into personal touch and consequent defilement with persons of the lowest castes, no doubt a very shocking thing if a body could understand it and properly appreciate it. Yes, a Brahmin who didn't own a rupee and couldn't borrow one might have to touch elbows with a rich hereditary lord of inferior caste, inheritor of an ancient title a couple of yards long, and he would just have to stand it, for if either of the two was allowed to go in the cars where the sacred white people were, it probably wouldn't be the august poor Brahmin. There was an immense string of those third-class cars, for the natives travel by hordes, and a weary hard night of it the occupants would have, no doubt. When we reached our car, Satan and Barney had already arrived there with their train of porters carrying bedding and parasols and cigar-boxes, and were at work. We named him Barney for short. We couldn't use his real name. There wasn't time. It was a car that promised comfort, indeed luxury, yet the cost of it, well, economy could no further go. Even in France, not even in Italy. It was built of the plainest and cheapest partially smoothed boards, with a coating of dull paint on them, and there was nowhere a thought of decoration. The floor was bare, but would not long remain so when the dust should begin to fly. Across one end of the compartment ran a netting for the accommodation of hand-baggage. At the other end was a door which would shut, upon compulsion, but wouldn't stay shut. It opened into a narrow little closet, which had a washbowl in one end of it, and a place to put a towel, in case you had one with you. And you would be sure to have towels, because you buy them with the bedding, knowing that the railway doesn't furnish them. On each side of the car, and running fore and aft, was a broad leather-covered sofa to sit on in the day and sleep on at night. Over each sofa hung, by straps, a wide, flat, leather-covered shelf to sleep on. In the daytime you can hitch it up against the wall, out of the way, and then you have a big unencumbered and most comfortable room to spread out in. No car in any country is quite its equal for comfort, and privacy, I think, for usually there are but two persons in it, and even when there are four there is but little sense of impaired privacy. Our own cars at home can surpass the railway world in all details but that one. They have no coziness. There are too many people together. At the foot of each sofa was a side-door for entrance and exit. Along the whole length of the sofa on each side of the car ran a row of large single-plate windows of a blue tint, blue to soften the bitter glare of the sun and protect one's eyes from torture. These could be let down out of the way when one wanted the breeze. In the roof were two oil-lamps which gave a light strong enough to read by. 
each had a green cloth attachment by which it could be covered when the light should be no longer needed while we talked outside with friends barney and satan placed the hand-baggage books fruits and soda-bottles in the racks and the hold-alls and heavy baggage in the closet hung the overcoats and sun-helmets and towels on the hooks hoisted the two bed-shelves up out of the way then shouldered their bedding and retired to the third class now then you see what a handsome spacious light airy home-like place it was wherein to walk up and down or sit and write or stretch out and read and smoke a central door in the forward end of the compartment opened into a similar compartment it was occupied by my wife and daughter about nine in the evening while we halted a while at a station barney and satan came and undid the clumsy big hold-alls and spread the bedding on the sofas in both compartments mattresses sheets gay coverlets pillows all complete there are no chambermaids in india apparently it was an office that was never heard of then they closed the communicating door nimbly tidied up our place put the night clothing on the beds and the slippers under them then returned to their own quarters january thirty one it was novel and pleasant and i stayed awake as long as i could to enjoy it and to read about those strange people the thugs in my sleep they remained with me and tried to strangle me the leader of the gang was that giant hindu who was such a picture in the strong light when we were leaving those hindu betrothal festivities at two o'clock in the morning rao bahadur baskirao balincanje pitale vakil to the gaikwar of barola it was he that brought me the invitation from his master to go to baroda and lecture to that prince and now he was misbehaving in my dreams but all things can happen in dreams it is indeed as the sweet singer of michigan says irrelevantly of course for the one and unfailing great quality which distinguishes her poetry from shakespeare's and makes it precious to us is its stern and simple irrelevancy my heart was gay and happy this was ever in my mind there is better times a-coming and i hope some day to find myself capable of composing it was my heart's delight to compose on a sentimental subject if it came in my mind just right the sentimental songbook page forty nine theme the author's early life nineteenth stanza baroda arrived at seven this morning the dawn was just beginning to show it was forlorn to have to turn out in a strange place at such a time and the blinking lights in the station made it seem night still but the gentlemen who had come to receive us were there with their servants and they make quick work there was no lost time we were soon outside and moving swiftly through the soft gray light and presently were comfortably housed with more servants to help than we were used to and with rather embarrassingly important officials to direct them but it was custom they spoke ballarat english their bearing was charming and hospitable and so all went well breakfast was a satisfaction across the lawns was visible in the distance through the open window an indian well with two oxen tramping leisurely up and down long inclines drawing water and out of the stillness came the suffering screech of the machinery not quite musical and yet soothingly melancholy and dreamy and reposeful a wail of lost spirits one might imagine 
and commemorative and reminiscent perhaps for of course the thugs used to throw people down that well when they were done with them after breakfast the day began a sufficiently busy one we were driven by winding roads through a vast park with noble forests of great trees and with tangles and jungles of lovely growths of a humbler sort and at one place three large gray apes came out and pranced across the road a good deal of a surprise and an unpleasant one for such creatures belong in the menagerie and they look artificial and out of place in a wilderness we came to the city by and by and drove all through it intensely indian it was and crumbly and mouldering and immemorially old to all appearance and the houses oh indescribably quaint and curious they were with their fronts and elaborate lace-work of intricate and beautiful wood-carving and now and then further adorned with rude pictures of elephants and princes and gods done in shouting colors and all the ground floors along these cramped and narrow lanes occupied as shops shops unbelievably small and impossibly packed with merchantable rubbish and with nine-tenths naked natives squatting at their work of hammering pounding brazing soldering sewing designing cooking measuring out grain grinding it repairing idols and then the swarm of ragged and noisy humanity under the horses feet and everywhere and the pervading reek and fume and smell it was all wonderful and delightful imagine a file of elephants marching through such a crevice of a street and scraping the paint off both sides of it with their hides how big they must look and how little they must make the houses look and when the elephants are in their glittering court costume what a contrast they must make with the humble and sordid surroundings and when a mad elephant goes raging through belting right and left with his trunk how do these swarms of people get out of the way i suppose it is a thing which happens now and then in the mad season for elephants have a mad season i wonder how old the town is there are patches of building massive structures monuments apparently that are so battered and worn and seemingly so tired and so burdened with the weight of age and so dulled and stupefied with trying to remember things they forgot before history began that they give one the feeling that they must have been a part of original creation this is indeed one of the oldest of the princedoms of india and has always been celebrated for its barbaric pomps and splendors and for the wealth of its princes. End of chapter 44